You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We are back. Um, we hope all of you are doing well. Got a big show this week. At least I think we got a big show this week. I don't know. It's it's up to the listener, maybe. It's a big show for us. Indeed. <laughs> Certainly a big show for us. <laughs> um, yeah, so this week we are going to be talking about Almost Human from 1974. One of those ones that it seems like we would have covered by now, uh, and Will was convinced we did, and uh, several other people actually are convinced we did, and we never have. It's just one of those ones that's kind of always kind of lingered out there and just never kind of been approached, but uh, that's going to be taken care of today. Uh, it's an Umberto Lenzi film, Ernesto Gastaldi wrote it, and uh, we got some big name Italian cinema actors in there, so we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, I don't really have much else to talk about here in the intro, except for what we've been watching. You want to get into that? I think not. It would be as good a time as any to get into that. All right, let's do it. Let's do it, man. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you start. As always, All right. as long as you let me finish. <laughs> that's, that's the important. Yes, that's the important. That's the piece. important part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I had uh, I had a good week, um, spare, but uh, yeah, of course some good stuff. So, my our youngest decided he wanted to watch The Hills Have Eyes, the Aja Hills Have Eyes, which mm-hmm. I remembered being a pretty nasty piece of film. Um, he had watched The Craven Jam with me over the over Halloween. And uh, wanted to watch it. And my recollection was that this was the rare instance of a remake uh, outpacing its uh, its predecessor. Um, I can't believe this film's 16 years old. Yes. Which is it just, it's mind-boggling to me. It's a teenager now. Um, but looking at the film now, I think it holds up really well. It's, it's a nasty little film. Yeah. 
Um, it's it's pretty punishing. It's grueling in spots. One thing that completely escaped me when I'd seen it the first time was realizing that Ted Levine plays the dad in it. Yeah. Ted Levine's fantastic in this. Yeah, he is. It's a shame he, he plays very much a, a Second Amendment, uh, embra- you know, really big on his Second Amendment and just... Uh, He's he's great in the role, and uh, I wish there was more Ted Levine because it's it's so weird to think of him as James Gum and then think of him as this role. <laughs> so <Yes>. very <laughs> uh, very interesting. Um, I would say some of the uh, some of the sort of caricature Americana is a little too on the nose, hmm. but um, you know, nonetheless, it, it's it's a fun one. It's uh, probably be expected be from a French filmmaker. Yes, exactly. Exactly, but no, it's uh, it was it was enjoyable, uh, or as enjoyable as uh, a punishing film like this can be. Uh, next up for me was one that I, I truthfully didn't think I would ever see the light of day, and then about a month ago I was like, oh wow, they made this! I can't wait. It's um, a series of films and uh, a TV show that I don't think you were a big fan of. I don't think you maybe aggressively hated it, but. Uh, I've always adored it, and that's uh, Jackass. Oh, see Jackass forever. Yeah, yeah, the new Jackass. Yes, uh, this was an absolute joy. If you're into that sort of thing, yeah, I think that's really what it is. I mean, you know, some people either I, are. I yeah, you either are or you're not. <laughs> I'm one of the M nots. <laughs> yes, yes, I think you would be more inclined to watch. Fast and the Furious series before this these films, correct? Uh, probably. I would hate to be given that choice. <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> but I'm already one up there because I've seen two Fast and Furious films, so I've at least seen two of those. And I probably watched Jackass in the beginning when it was on TV. I'm probably sure I did because it was something new at the time. Um, yep. Nowadays, it's pretty much social media in a nutshell. So I don't really. It sure is. I don't really watch it, any of it. I haven't watched any. I've never seen one of the films or anything. No. I'm I'm a huge huge fan. I, I've seen I believe I've seen all of them in the theaters. I think comedy lends itself really well to seeing with an audience. It becomes very infectious. Um, if you're a fan of Jackass, I think there has to be some reluctance. These guys are fifty years old in that orbit. Um. They've decided to kind of start to pass the baton off. And when I heard there was going to be new people assuming the mantle, I was ready to hate them. And uh, I got to say, they all acquit themselves quite well. Like I said, if you're into this sort of thing, I think you'll find a certain poignancy and a certain sweetness in the passing of the baton and the passing of time. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, this was nothing profound, but... uh, (laughs) Just what I think the doctor ordered. Um, next up was a, a documentary. Uh, big fan of Motown, no secret there. It's one called Hitsville, The Making of Motown. Oh, yeah. It's a Showtime documentary. So this uh, this documentary feels very much like Motown gave access to a lot of people. Uh, features Smokey Robinson, Barry Gordy very heavily. Um, so in some ways, I don't think it brings a lot of new light or new information to the table, but 
visually it's done in a really engaging way. It, it's not just talking heads. They um, they have some visual stuff going on that's that's pretty pretty appealing, pretty interesting, and they do sprinkle in some stuff that um, even as a, a pretty devoted fan of Motown and soul music, I was uh, I had not known. So yeah, it's it's a very well made documentary. Like I said, nothing profound, but uh, you know certainly comforting. And I've seen worse. Um, that's actually all I watched this week, man. I started another one, but I'll maybe mention that next week. And no, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the same thing I did last week. Yeah, yeah. It's the way it is when you get older. You got to start movies and finish them at later dates. Sometimes. Yep. Things yeah, that's happen. The truth, man. <laughs> Uh, I checked out uh, a few things. I watched uh, one that's uh, been on my to-watch pile since, I don't know, 2014. Uh, All is Lost. That's the Robert Redford sailboat movie. Oh, I saw you watch this. I yeah. remember seeing this when it came out when I was cram jamming. It's yeah. a good one. It's yeah, a good little good. film. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, really kind of a an interesting kind of look at you know filmmaking more than anything because it's really just kind of relying upon the pacing of the film and and his performance and you know obviously it's a different type of movie i don't know if they make these kind of movies nowadays i don't think they would as crazy as that is to say it's only nine years old but it is it is different no doubt um switch gears and watch nightmare alley the guillermo Uh. del toro film um i didn't really like this movie at all no no no, no, not at all, really. I don't really... Uh, Del Toro seems to me to be... I don't know. He, he seems to be looking for prestige more than anything anymore, and, and this movie's a mess. Uh, it looks nice, no doubt about that, but almost all the acting is pretty terrible in it, and the the uh, it's, it's set up okay, but it's weird. It's almost like a neutered version of the 1947 film that's a weird thing to say out loud uh i'm a big fan of the 1947 film but i would say it's probably more adult than this film it's yeah. a good one i only yeah. caught it recently uh, yeah. and inadvertently at that and uh yeah that that's a, that one's out of its time for sure yeah and this one's this weirdly generic in some weird way and uh you know i didn't really have high hopes for it going in or anything but i thought i might be entertained but i just eh. This wasn't really that interesting. Did you think this could crack your top thirty? If we were to do like a top thirty, like were you like, oh, this might be like you know twenty-one to thirty material, or? Uh, I mean, I probably would have crammed it in because some yeah. folks, you know, really like it. I just got nominated for Oscars. Um, oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I got to say, it out of the Oscar movies I have seen that are in that list, it's easily the worst film. And uh, I mean. I just flat out didn't like it. Like, I'll never... This is, like, something that I would never watch again. <laughs> like a six? Like a six? No. I'd say... Four? Five at best. Wow. Yeah, I, I found it pretty bad. It's it's wow. just... It's just lame. It's just a lame movie. <laughs> it's kind That's, of a shame. You know, I, it is a shame. It is a shame. It just... It, it doesn't really... It, it's, it just, it, it's, it's a weird thing. It just feels like some kind of, like kid in the candy store film um but with no there's no meat on the bone there's just no meat on the bone at all it just it just kind of hangs around there and uh none of the characters are super interesting there is some good acting in it shouldn't say everybody's bad but most of the leads are and they're all actors i like a lot uh i'm not really the biggest bradley cooper guy or 
even a Rooney Mara guy or even uh, oh, somebody else in there. But, I mean, I do like Kate Blanchett. I do like David Strathern. I do like uh, Ron Perlman. do like... Um, Good cast. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's got a heck of a cast. I mean, it's got an amazing cast. But most people are wasted in it, in my opinion. So, I don't know. They teach their own, but not my, not my bag. Pretty boring. And it just, you know, it just, it feels like it's pandering for awards, too. It's it's one of those kind of movies that just feels like it's pandering for attention. And that's... That's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I never saw The Shape of Water, but I never have really cared for the serious Guillermo del Toro. He, he just doesn't really interest me when he's serious. Because I think he's, I don't know, he's kind of, his serious stuff to me is kind of goofy. So, just yeah. doesn't work for me. I- it's funny, you and I have had this discussion many times, but I've often said on the record that I love Del Toro, the film lover and the film historian, mm-hmm. a lot more than I love Del Toro, the filmmaker. Yeah. I, I can't think of, you know, outside of my, you know, Pan's Labyrinth is great, and I really like Shape of Water, but um, I feel like a lot of his films, to me, I admire his intent and his passion. Right more than the films really move me or resonate with me. You yeah, know? and I think I've gotten to that point, too. I think Pan's Labyrinth might be the last thing I saw that I actually liked. Mm-hmm. So um, I haven't seen anything by him that's really interested me since then. Uh, this kind of popped up on HBO Max. That's why I went ahead and watched it. It was there, and I was like, oh, okay, well, let's go ahead and watch it. So, But it was just, eh. I thought I liked it. It's a weird thing. I thought I liked it, but then like two days later, I'm like, well, I didn't really like anything about that movie. <laughs> Because I'm just sitting there beating myself up about it. I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't, I didn't like that. <laughs> so that was a weird one. Another one I didn't like. I had a couple of uh, 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 misses here this week. A Zombieland Double Tap. Now, I didn't expect to like this one. Um, I saw you watch this, and I was like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. This would, uh, this would be something that came in the mail or a long time ago. And I was like, well, I better go ahead and watch this. And uh, I went ahead and watched it. And, uh, yeah, it's not for me. Uh, the first Zombie Land at least was interesting at the time. This one is, you know, I mean, it's only, I, I it's quite old. I get ten or twelve years between the sequels, and uh, it's really tired this time around. Emma Stone's a lot of good. She's really good in the film. Uh, I will say that I'll give it that. Um, and Rosario Dawson's really good in the film, but nobody else is, and I just don't really, uh, I don't know. It's not my thing. Uh, very silly, but. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend anybody watch that. It's not like I'm poo-pooing on everything. I did watch some funky films this week. I will say that. Uh, Django and Django, Sergio Corbucci Unchained. This was on, uh, I think this is the Spaghetti Western Movie Database. They produced this. This is on Netflix down here. I don't know if it's on up there. This is kind of uh, them interviewing Tarantino and uh, Franco Nero and uh, uh, Ruggiero Diodato and a few other folks talking about Sergio Corbucci and talking about his films, mostly his westerns, and uh, how he, you know, it's not that the new, the second great uh, Sergio, all that kind of stuff, but it's really interesting, some of the uh, stuff that comes out. And if you see this, um, this is why I think for me I'm still a fan of Tarantino, the movie critic, because some of the stuff he says about, like, The Great Silence and a few other things, I'm like, man, I never even thought of that. And it's still amazing yeah. to me that some of the stuff he comes up with. And his, at the end of the movie, it's worth watching to the end because he has a totally different take on Django that I've, I've never even heard before. And, really? yeah, it's amazing. And it, it's like, 
Holy, I mean, where do you come up with this stuff? So it's it's very interesting to see how his brain works, and uh, to see what he got he gets out of Corbucci films compared to you know myself or anybody else. Very interesting. Yeah, it's funny you say that because we've talked about varying degrees of Tarantino fatigue over the years, but when he's not trying to work an angle or get a revival going around, um, you know, certain filmmakers' films that somehow tie in with the film he's of his that he's promoting. Um, I've always, yeah, I found his stuff, you know, his, his, his commentary and review stuff to be insightful. And like you said, sometimes it's, it's interesting to see the, uh, the, no, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess just basically the angle he can kind of, he sees things from you like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's maybe an obvious statement, but I like when he steps back and can just talk about films for film's sake without an agenda. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one of the more interesting things here. That he does. And I don't even know if this interview is new. It might have been on the Django Unchained disc. It might have been something else. But um, he kind of starts the thing. I don't think it is, though, because he kind of starts the thing, kind of going through his history with the uh, Rick Dalton character and how he wrote that character to be this guy that worked for the work that was going to go shoot a Sergio Corbucci film. And Rick Dalton didn't know what a Spaghetti Western was. And it's all this stuff. It's it's kind of like if um, it's kind of like the Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood book, which. I found to be like a million times better than the film the, because it goes so much deeper into the actual stuff. And of course the book's not afraid to offend where the film I think was very much a homogenized version of what the book is. Uh, the film, the film is very much, I mean, compared to the book, the film is very chaste to say the least, <laughs> uh, which is crazy, but it's true. And if Tarantino's going to keep writing like that, then that's I'd, I'd rather you just stop making movies altogether because <laughs> the book no, was a hell of a lot better. But it'll be interesting to see where he goes going forward because I know he's working on a book of criticism and things like that. But it's pretty amazing and pretty interesting some of the stuff he comes up with. So I'll put on the fanboy hat for that. Um, checked out a couple things with Landon. We watched The Lost World, Jurassic Park. He wanted to... Watched the sequel to Jurassic Park. He had saw that a while back. I watched this one. Uh, I mean, I guess it came out in theaters in 1997. That was probably the last time I saw it. Um, it wasn't that long. Yeah, it's been a long time ago. Um, I still feel the same way. It's a mess of a movie. It's not very good. It's it's okay. It gets the job done, but it's eh, it's not really my thing. Is, is this the one that the end has all of the dinosaurs coming back to the city on the boat? It just has uh, the T-Rex and the baby T-Rex. Oh, yes, yes. But on the boat back to like... Um, yeah, San Diego. Sort of mo- yeah, which I love that little sequence. Yeah. I think it's pretty enticing. But the film on the whole is, yeah, is no great shakes for sure. No, no, no. no. It, I, I would argue, to put on the other fanboy hat, I would probably argue that it might be Steven Spielberg's worst film, actually. So, I wonder. There's, he's made a few clunkers. Yeah. That one is easily at the very bottom of my list on his, I can tell you that. Uh, and then we watched another director. So, I, this is, this is, so I went and saw Moonfall with Landon. And uh, yeah, this is Roland Emmerich uh, making another. Oh, yes. This is Roland Emmerich making another disaster movie because <laughs> that's all he can get money for. Uh, this one's got some wacky ideas. And everything else, but it's still very much the same way I feel about all Roland Emmerich films. They're just very empty and not very interesting. And uh, he tries to, you know, talk about some climate change stuff here and a few other things, but it's just it's it's very middle of the road. 
I, I, I think I told Jose, good friend of the show, Jose, I neither liked it nor hated it. It really was strictly just, meh. it was, you know, five, maybe a five. It was. Wow. You, seems like you got some, this was more of a quantity week than a quality week. Yeah. 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 I think I, I think I had, I had some stuff sitting around and I was just like, I need to knock some of this stuff out. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I got some good stuff in. I, you know, I, I watched some good TV. I watched Reacher, which is on Amazon Prime. It's really good. And then I watched, um, few other things and eh, it was it was fine but you know i mean landon's reached that age where he's curious about these kinds of films right so i mean i knew i mean like i let's be honest i never would have watched moonfall at all Uh, i never would have watched it but you know that's the age though man yeah i know what you mean like our kids so that is stuff where it's yeah it's that age where they're kind of kind of past animated stuff and yeah it's the dad job part. it's the dad job part yep so you know it's just one of those things and uh, so, uh, it, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do. So you got to take one for the team every now and then. But it was perfectly mediocre. I know some people out there really like it. Um, and, you know, it's that same old argument that it's big, dumb, and fun. Um, I don't know if I understand that. I really don't. Um, I don't. I don't think my brain, I don't think my brain has that channel. So I don't knock it, but it's just not my thing. Um, it's it is. I will say this: it does feel like a couple of young people were really high when they wrote it, and uh, it does feel. I, I, I'll Jose, who listens to the show, I'll, I'll, I'll get a quote from him. It feels like Roland Emmerich was walking down the hallway of whatever studio this thing was being pitched in, <laughs> and was like, uh, "I got nothing else going on. I'll do it." <laughs> That's it, funny. It just feels like that. I mean, it feels it like I got out of the movie and I called it. Uh, what did I call it? The Patriot on Independence Day after the day, the day after tomorrow, or something like that. Because it, it's it's all of his films wrapped up in one. And that's what that's essentially what it is. It's all that's of his films, thing, man. Yeah, it's that's all of his films thing. wrapped up in one. But even 2012, which I thought was dreadful, was better than this. So. Oh wow. So yeah, it's just you know I don't know if Land I don't think Landon liked it. He never he never really says. He usually sets on something for a while before he says anything. But he, he's uh, not a hot take. He's not like nah, my older son, king of the hot takes. No, nah, he's not a hot take kind of guy. And but I could tell that he was kind of he was getting bored, and that's always a sign that he didn't really care for it, because he was kind of shifting in the seat a little bit and all that kind of good stuff, and you know, kind of leaning up against me. And I was like, oh, okay, he's getting a little bored. That's probably what's happening. So, but he never said. He always asked me because he knows that I'm like, eh, it's all right. And he'll say, no, you hated it. I'm like, nah, I don't hate, I mean, hating movies is, I'm not in that business, but, you know, it was watchable. I'll never watch it again, but it was watchable. Don't know if that's hate, though. <laughs> Hate's a strong word, it's, man. It's more maybe bitter apathy, bitter indifference. I don't know. It, it's, hate is a strong word, though. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if there's any film I hate. Oh, there's a few I really fucking understand, but. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything I hate. I'm trying to think if there's anything I hate. Like, they bring, brings blood to a boil. I don't think there is. I mean, there's things I'd never watch again, certainly, but I don't think there's anything I hate. What was that Vegas killer one we watched? Oh, that one was pretty bad. That uh, was bad, man. Murder set pieces? Murder. Uh, was that what it was? I feel like there's a Jallo called Murder set pieces, too. Uh, no? Murder set pieces. I think I'm thinking a body puzzle or something like that. 
<laughs> just sounds huh. sounds the same as murder set pieces. Yeah, I saw that. I uh, gonna... <laughs> maybe it was Vegas Vampires, which we watched. Right? I think we watched. Oh man, that was a bad one. Ve- great, great city to visit. Not a great city to set your film in. Evidently not. With a few exceptions. Yeah, I just you know, again, hate is just a strong word. So you know, I I try not to use it because it's a yeah, it takes a lot for me to hate yeah. something a whole lot. Um. I did see that there's a trailer out there now. We'll say this on the show. Uh, by, by the time this gets put out there, it'll be hot on the internet. But I did see a trailer today for a new Dario Argento film, which is interesting. Oh, really? I didn't even know he was making one. But, uh, yeah, I think it's called Dark Glasses or something like that. Uh, oh, sorry. You know what it's going by in Canada is, is Will's next boner film. <laughs> yeah. It's a Gialli, and it's, I think it's called Dark Glasses. Oh, so. man. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Because I think it's been 10 years. I don't think he's done anything for 10 years. Weird. It says 2015 film when I look. Yeah, that's his, that is weird. Maybe he finally gets... Maybe he's been trying to get it out for the last seven years. <laughs> oh, my God. Music composed by Daft Punk. It's like this film was made for, just for me. <laughs> yeah. It, it might be. Wow. Might have oh been his God. last hurrah. <laughs> this is incredible, man. Yeah. The trailer's interesting. I recommend people check it out. Anyway. The poster looks more polished than his recent stuff, but anyway. Yeah. We'll take a short break. We'll come back and discuss Almost Human. Um, we'll be back right after this. break a little sooner but i couldn't get out of my fiat to uh <laughs> to turn that down man that was i was ready i had too many people in the fiat and clearly we were heading for a bank <laughs> we were <laughs> all right almost human one of the big uh one of the big uh euro crime films i would say uh at least it has become that um maybe it didn't start that way but uh it's certainly a memorable one uh at least for one reason but we'll kind of get into that so this is directed by umberto Lindsay. so he's back on the show good old umberto uh like i said ernesto gastaldi wrote the story in the screenplay stars one thomas milian one henry silva back on the show uh laura belly's in here uh a few other people giuseppe castellano there's a lot of euro crime actors in here <laughs> a lot of familiar faces if that's your genre yeah uh, Luciano Cantanacci, who uh, plays Ugo Mahone or Mahone, uh, I can't know if it's Mahone or Mahone. Um, he's kind of like the thug that Milian kind of works for, and uh, he's really good. Um, yeah, I always like seeing him. Yeah, he's got a great face, like a great look and stuff. Um, this is also known as Milana Odia, La Polizia non puo sparare, sparare. 
Yeah. Hey, nothing. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. Uh, that one was easy. Kind of rolls off the tongue. But say it in Greek next time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to know what it is in Greek. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Um, like I said, this is kind of a heavy hitter. I picked this one because we had never done it. Uh, Kino put a, uh, laser, uh, laser disc. Jesus Christ. Where am I at? Man. Somebody soundtracks on eight track. Right? Yeah. Somebody come back and check on me. I might be stuck in the past. Um, it's not a bad place to be. Uh, no, it's <laughs> going to see Jurassic Park, the lost world tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, oh, amazing. 2012. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> God bless. Anyway, um, it's it's just been one of those ones that I think we've probably it's probably been talked about or been hovering in our collective consciousness since we started talking to Mike Malloy and started talking about Eurocrime films. I'm pretty sure Mike brought it up on the first interview we did with him, and I think we always kind of talked about how we should do it and. It's just one of those things where we never, never, never got to it. It just it kept escaping us. I don't know why, but it's just one of those things. I mean, there's films like that, right? I mean, we talked about one we both had never seen last week with uh, 1900. Um, yeah. Uh, and it was just like, how have we neither one of us seen this? It's it's just one of those things. Um, so I with picked 1900, this. 1900, we should say, not this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we both had seen this one before, yeah. Uh, I watched this one on Blu-ray. It was, was pretty weird, a pretty weird experience as well. And because uh, it looked it looked pretty nice, and uh, those uh, those turtleneck sweater blazer combos that Henry Silva's rocking with that yeah, ever so right. ever so slightly short cane he's got. Somebody, <laughs> you don't think somebody could have added just like a little piece of plastic down there to make that cane? Just an fit? inch, man. Just an inch. <laughs> he, he just needed just a little bit more. He looked a what little a an inch, man. Yeah, he looked a little uncomfortable walking with that cane. Um, no wonder he was scowling. <laughs> He's fun in this movie, though. Um, yes. Let's talk about it. Uh, I know you hadn't seen it for some time. I hadn't seen it for some time. Let's talk about yeah. Almost Human. Let's. Let's. So just to piggyback on what you said, oddly enough, I'd like to pick up the Blu-ray. Um, my children playing sports has, has burned a hole in my pocket, so I haven't been able to pick up as much physical media in the past few years as I'd like. Um, so I had to bust out my shameless DVD. Shameless was doing oh, yeah. work for a lot of uh, Italian That's right. uh, Jali and Eurocrime films um, in the early 2000s. Uh -huh. um, and this disc actually looks pretty darn good still. Yeah. Um, so kudos to shout out to Shameless for sure. Um, yeah, you mentioned you kind of openly pondered why why didn't we ever do this one? And, you know, I, I don't have a great answer for that. I mean, it ticks a lot of the boxes. I think maybe more than anything, maybe on sub subconscious level, it felt much like the reason we had never covered Switchblade Sisters or oh yeah, we've never done that one either. Have we? We've never done yeah, that, have that's we? Right. Nope. One that I always wanted to cover, but wow, there's just some films that feel like they have kind of just been hovering around in the group, like. I don't want to say they're oversaturated, but it just feels like, I don't know, we try to, you know, go a little deeper in the water, not not to discredit this or that, because mm -hmm. they're both mm -hmm. fantastic films. Right. But I think now one of the benefit of us having done the show for 13 plus years is it has kind of come full circle. Right. Some of the films that were maybe felt like they were talked about heavily in 
and message boards because we were around to see message boards or <laughs> Facebook groups. Um, that stuff's, you know, that stuff's kind of gone down. And I know speaking for myself, and I would think also I feel fairly comfortable speaking for you on this. One of the big reasons I wanted to do a podcast was because I felt like Eurocrime at the time and and Jali were heavily underrepresented. Yes. Uh, amidst other genres like the macho cinema we talked about and you know other stuff outside Asian stuff outside of the sort of standard Shaw Brothers and Golden Harvest stuff but yeah it wasn't until that, you know I think both of us obviously anybody knows the history of the show both of us started listening to Cinema Diabolica and they were doing Italian films and uh I was like wow there's other people who watch Italian films I thought I was the only one and, yeah, you can listen to people actually talk about the stuff you like. Yeah, and uh, and we kind of met through that. And so that's where it kind of all got kicked off. But even though they wouldn't do strictly Italian films, they did quite a bit, but they would do world cinema and stuff like that a little bit and kind of mix it up. But they were the first podcast I came across that really talked about Eurocrime films and kind of drew, drew that attention back to that a little bit. And it was nice because I was like, wow, I thought I was the only person that liked these movies. And uh, and then, of course, met you. And then, of course, we've met several people since then. And some folks that we know collectively have said that, you know, we have introduced them to a whole genre of cinema they didn't know anything about, which is the Euro crime film. And uh, that's always flattering. I mean, uh, I don't think we well, I mean, maybe we did for some folks. But I, even as much as we know, uh, obviously there's people like Mike Malloy and stuff like that who know, you know, gobs more than we know. And uh, But it, it was just nice to meet people who like these films. And, you know, it's kind of led to this kind of fun relationship with, like, you know, interviewing Thomas Jane and, you know, Mike Malloy and, and seeing films. And it's just it's just been kind of great. And uh, so your crime holds a special place for you and I. Big time, man. Big time. It's it's just it's a genre that I think combines a lot of the stuff we love about cinema that's kind of on the fringes. It's sleazy. It's action packed. It's, it's kind of overtly comically macho. Yeah. Um, it's low budget. It's quick. It's, it's low budget. It's it's quick. Yeah. It's quick and dirty. And it just it hits. It's like that. You know. Do we always go back to food? But it's like that. That two a.m. Polish sausage or hot dog that just it's just cooked perfectly, man. Or Italian sausage in this case. Yeah. Gotta put it so in the sata, man. Put it in the right hole. Put, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> be careful. But yeah, yeah, well, you, yeah, you gotta be careful there. Um but this one, yeah, just to kind of to touch on what you'd said, looking at this one now through eyes that have I've you know, we've both kind of done the tour of the genre and we had mined the depths and seen a large number of uh, entries in the genre, and this this does stand out uh, in the genre. I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the greatest the genre has to offer, but I think when you're going to make a short list of best films in the genre, this has to be in there because it's so unique. It's in a genre that has a lot of sleaze. This is unrepentantly sleazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would I would say so. Although I gotta admit. Going back and watching it, I, I I remember it being. It's probably because I've seen too many sleazy things uh, since then. Uh, you know, like Jello of Venencia and, and these these other films oh. that we've watched. Um, 
Yeah, some of these, you know, Patrick Still Lives. I mean, there's there's so many of these films. And for a Eurocrime film, this is particularly sleazy. Although I will say, you know, you know, kind of low-key sleazy is that, you know, the big racket we did a long time ago, back in the early days. Well, That's yeah, low-key sleazy. Urinated on <laughs> yeah. and then set on fire. Yeah. That is unbelievably sleazy. Yeah, that's low-key sleazy right there. That's a... Uh, that's a that that one kind of sneaks in under the radar, and I think sometimes gets overlooked uh, because of that. Because it's particularly kind of a repulsive movie. It's a good movie, and it's just a repulsive one. And uh, I, I think that's interesting because this one has always had this reputation of going like too far, and really, it's only in one sequence. Although I mean, although it starts with a bang, right? And I don't want to step on your toes with the review or anything like that, but I mean. In the immediacy of the film, you see that no one is safe, including children. So, oh, yeah. right off the bat, it's 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 giving you something that some of crime films even they don't touch. And the other thing it's giving yeah. you is maybe the beginning of Thomas Millian's crazy man performances. I don't know if this is the very beginning, but it's certainly when I started to realize. I love him and both think that he might need psychological help. <laughs> yeah, he did all those like cop and drag films and he did like uh, where he played the hunchback, uh, kind of gobo and stuff like that. But this one really encapsulates the the energy that very few people can bring because I think for you, I'm going to ask you because for me, the first thing I think of when I think of this film is Million. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's not he, Silva. No, it's, it's it's not Ray Lovelock or yeah. Obviously not. Well, Stenberg we didn't. Yeah, or, I didn't even mention him in the. Uh, he's so far down the credit sheet that I didn't even mention him. But yeah, Ray Lovelock is in this for those Italian loving movie fans. Yeah, I got all handsome Lovelock and Ida Strindberg. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's rolls deep. But it is the it is the first thing I think of. The first thing I think of is Milian, and it's because he just has this crazy performance and there's been these stories about how he would uh, do cocaine and drink alcohol before he would shoot any scene uh, because he was really into drugs in the 70s so he would yeah. uh, he would get wasted and uh, perform and uh, I don't know how he pulled it off but he does have that kind of mad energy that like Dennis Hopper had at the peak of his kind of wackiness in the early 70s yeah he does I'm trying to think of someone else like a off the top of my head, I can't. But they, yeah, there's just this. He is just, you know. And this is I, this is going to sound silly, but I, I, it's weird that I couldn't help but think of this um, because I feel like I just do such a hard eye roll with some of the stuff associated with this character. But like, he almost feels like his character in this almost feels like Heath Ledger's Joker. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just, I mean, I mean, it's 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 that kind of bad guy performance. This is to Euro crime what <laughs> Ledger's <laughs> yeah performances to big budget uh, yeah superhero performances. I didn't put that in my notes, but I think that's very apropos. I mean, I really do because that's what it reminds me of. It's one of those kind of heavy performances. Chaos. Yeah, he embraces chaos to no end. Yeah, because I mean, the star of the Dark Knight is not Christian Bale; it's Keith Ledger. I mean, that's and what everybody. Yeah, that's what everybody's going to remember. Yeah, 
What everybody's going to remember about The Dark Knight Forever is going to be that Heath Ledger performance. What everybody's going to remember about Almost Human, if they see it, is going to be, I promise you, it's going to be Thomas Millian. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be Henry, Henry Silver with his too short cane. And no one, no no pair of podcasters, you know, with all due respect to Loaf and Zom, are bigger marks for Silva collectively than us. But no. no. With all due respect to one of our kings. Yeah. We got two of our kings in this, really. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And Millian and so but Silva is is as fun as he is in this. I mean, this really is the Millian power hour. Yeah, this is Silva kind of dialed back. He's usually playing yeah. kind of a heavy or a gangster or a bank robber of some sort in these films. But every now and then he'd play a cop. Now he's mm-hmm. he's good in the movie. It's a good dramatic performance. I think he Delivers his, yeah. yeah, he delivers his wine lines well. He does a lot of phone calls, things like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But he's not a... This is not action Silva. Or no. certainly, definitely not cry of a prostitute Silva. It's, it's just... No. He's very serviceable, and you see why he was such a great character actor and why the Italians kind of fell in love with him. Yeah. I mean, outside of that unique look and the trench coats, yeah. it just... He looks I good in this movie, too. He looks really good. He does look great in the film. His hair is looking good. I almost wonder if, like, was he dialed back because Lindsay directed him to dial it back because, you know, he just can't keep up with Millian in this? Or was it sort of a, does he just not keep up? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. maybe he's not giving the material to keep up, but it know. just feels like Millian is just like this. This never-ending animated ball of energy, like he just he's his face. There's these facial tics, and he's he just constantly in motion, right? In some yeah. capacity, I I can't even begin to describe. I mean, calling it like the Heath Ledger performance is about as close as it gets. But I mean, Millian goes for every emotion in this. He plays the the weepy wimp, the, the pathetic, yeah, kind of worm, the, yeah, the aggressive home invader. The uh, child killer. Uh, unrepentant child yeah. killer. Unrepentant rapist. Unrepentant yeah. murderer. Yeah. He plays every sort of vile type. It's it's almost like he just goes from mask to mask to mask to mask well, to suit the environment he's in. He plays um, downtrodden boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. He does. Um, really mil- he really wears a lot of masks and he just... His character shifts between them. I mean, we know, having seen everything he does, but we as the viewer also see how believing, how convincing he is to the characters in the films in each scene, right? Yeah. I think if it's nobody, really if nobody's ever seen Million in a film where he's a lead in it, like you may have seen him in some Hollywood films and stuff, because he does, he did come back to the States and do character work for people like Francis Ford Coppola and, and things like that. Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. But if you see him in this as a lead, you can see that he was kind of kind of a special actor. I, he reminds me somewhat of Nick Cage, Dennis Hopper. Um, well, I should say Nick Cage reminds me of him more than he reminds me of Nick Cage. But for modern audiences, he doesn't. I, I think he goes over top like Nick Cage does. I think he does it in a different way. Um, but it's definitely there. I think you would agree that yeah. he goes, I mean, he goes for it. Everything I think I've ever seen him in, even when he's laid back, 
he pretty much nails it. Um, even when the films are bad, most of the time I still end up liking him. He's got this naturally weird charisma. And Todd and I Agreed. talked. Todd and I talked about this a while back when Todd picked four of the apocalypse, and he plays like this Manson. Oh man, yeah, he's like this Manson like killer in that. And That's a good one. Yeah, Questy, I think. No, yeah, I think so. And uh, we we were watching that, and we were talking about how it's just he just has this this something special that you just can't really you can't really explain it. And he was like he was like the perfect foil for. Italian Eurocrime films. It's like he came, you know, that and Westerns, honestly. Let's, let's not forget his Western, uh, in, you know, output because it's very solid as well. And we've talked about it in the past. But he's, he just kind of came along with Italian cinema like right, like right at the right time. You know what I mean? Agreed. He, he did. It was just right time, right place. Um, and what a, what a trifecta, you know. I'm really with Gastaldi is too, very accomplished in his own right. But, you know, you put Lindsay and Milian and Silva, Laura Belli in this. Uh, she's beautiful. I mean, she, you know, as much as she plays a victim in this, and we've all seen a number of victims in films, because we haven't really talked even much about the plot of this. It, it just, there's a kidnapping plot. I mean, it follows a lot of the, the Eurocrime stuff, but it doesn't really even focus much on the mechanics of the crimes as much as it does just kind of, allows us to get sort of caught up in the swirling kind of backstroking in the cesspool that Milian does. But but Laura Belli's, she does a really good job with the hard kind of thankless role in some respects, right? Like the, the rich girl, the kidnapped rich girl. Yeah. Right? But even then, she's in the background. Because like I said, it, Lindsay and Gastaldi wisely let Milian kind of pick up the ball and run with it. Yeah, she's um, in a she's in another one that I've always tried to pick for the show to do, ever since we uh, kind of got on the Mario Adorf train, and that was Execution Squad, which we've never done. But I'd like to do that oh, at some point. Yeah, yeah, that'd be no, fun for to sure. do. But she, no, she you know, did you know who she reminds me of? She reminds me of you know who? Fel- yeah, you know who Felisa Rose is, right? The girl from it's uh, funny, yeah. <laughs> the girl from uh, yeah. Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. She reminds me of her all grown up. <laughs> I, I find Laura Belli's a beautiful. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. I just I think yeah. that Felisa Rose. Yeah, good call. She, she looks a lot. They look a lot alike in a lot of ways. Similar. Yeah, dark features, similar nose. Um, yeah, listen, we haven't had Adorf uh, back on the show in a very long time. So yeah. you know what's cool? She's in a movie uh, with. You remember Stanko Molnar? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That name popped up on a show. So Stanko Molnar. <laughs> <laughs> um, was in Blade in the Dark, amongst other things. So she's in a film with him. But nice. I don't. I won't go down that rabbit hole too much. But yeah, any any chance to get some uh, some Stanko on some Stanko or some Adorf <laughs> would be uh, would be a, you know a gift, pennies from heaven. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you, man. It feels like I remember seeing so many Eurocrime films while I, my we was bottle feeding our oldest. And if I was going to say to you. Like, if my life depended on me guessing the opening for a Eurocrime film, I'd probably go with the opening where, like, it's like the cop car kind of touring, or the car touring around whatever city they're in, Naples or Milan or Rome. And this one's no different. It does have that sort of standard uh-huh. Eurocrime kind of uh, travelogue opening through the city. Right. 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 It's uh, Which is good, you know. I mean, we get some car chases in this, too, which... Uh, they're fine, you know. They're they're certainly good, um, and 
Milan just he's got some great lines in this. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Line about Napoleon had a cock like this. You've seen all the paintings. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. he puts up his pinky finger and yes. it just uh, yeah he just he really I, I don't want to keep sort of going on about him but he's he's really got some great uh, some great lines. Strindberg's great too. I mean she provides a bit of a counterbalance and some dramatic tension to Milan because she's unaware of what he's doing. Um, the city's used really wonderfully. I think it's it's Milan. Uh, it's really foggy and, and just the canal and it looks great. It just looks very dreary and drab. You know, yeah, it, it yeah. just doesn't look very appealing. This isn't sunny, beautiful, beautiful Italy. It's just kind of grim and I don't know, not very, uh, not very appealing. Certainly. Um, I think, you know, of all the directors we talk about, I'm pretty sure we're right in saying that Lindsay probably hung on to the Eurocrime flag the longest. Probably. You know, I feel like Lindsay doesn't... That, like Because he was doing stuff in 1990. He was doing stuff like Cop Target. And uh, he did oh, that. Oh, that's right. He was. Yeah, that was a Bob Ginty film. And he did uh, one with... That last film he did was a Charles Napier. It was basically shot in LA or Florida I can't remember and it was a basically a Eurocrime film yeah I mean I just oh, feel yeah. like he may be hung on to it longer than anybody well if you hung on long enough you could get through some of the 80s action but the problem is you had to keep up with the American budgets or even the secondary budgets like your cannons and stuff and that's that was hard because Italy the money had dried up but yeah he did hang around um, you know and he even did like La Casa 3 as good old Humphrey Hubert which uh, he worked right through it, man. You know, yeah. he um, yeah, he kept going. Yeah, Nightmare Beach, Hell's Gate, Hitcher in the Dark, Demons Three, which is fun. Uh, from Corleone to Brooklyn, which is kind of one of the lesser seen Euro crimes that I really like. It's got a really fun airport. It's it's actually might be my favorite Maurizio Merli jam. Yeah, and that's seventy nine. Where again, Merli's that's late. Yeah, he's hanging on to. He's one of the few too who hung on to the Western and the Eurocrime film for a long time too, because Merrily never. I don't even think Merrily ever came over to the states. Um, no, I think he pretty he much is. was Italian all the way through. Yeah, I think you're right. But no, he he definitely hung on very long. I mean, he worked like any of the good or great Italian directors. He went right through the genres. You get macaroni combat. You get cannibal films. You get sex comedies, Eurocrime, spaghetti westerns. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Spy films, uh, the peplums. I mean, just it's like it's like the playbook, right? Yeah. But uh, but he doesn't get enough credit. I think sometimes we he gets kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit, right? Like he's his body of work is very prolific, um, but a lot of great stuff in there, man. I think it's a lot because of great stuff. I think it's because, and I've said this on the show over the years. I think it's because for a long time in the states, he was only known as the guy who did the other cannibal film. Yes. And the guy that did the other zombie film, Nightmare City. Yeah. And yeah. those are those movies are fine, but they're not shining examples of what we really know Umberto Lindsay what he was really capable of. Um Right. And I think that that was part of the problem because he never really had the big impact western here. And I don't think he had a he had some good jallies, but I don't think he had any of them that ever really kind of crossed over too well maybe eyeball did i think he did eyeball eyeball was good yeah eyeball was good spasmo oh was good. that's right spasmo he did spasmo do spasmo 
Yeah, paranoia, so sweet, so perverse. But his, I, I might say his Euro crimes are, I guess that's his, his sort of calling card because not only does he get millions, arguably his, his finest hour with this, but he gets the most sort of emotive performance and maybe my favorite Silva jam, Manhunt in the City. Oh, yeah, that's it's a good one. probably Silva's most sympathetic emotional role. Yeah. Right. And it's a really underseen uh, Eurocrimer. So, I, I, you know, looking at him, man, like he, he's 67 credits. That's There's a lot more good than bad in there. Yeah, there's a lot more, a lot better, more better stuff than I think he's remembered for. Yeah, Cynic the Rat in the Fist, Brothers Till We Die. Like, there's a yeah. ton. Gang War in Milan, I love. Like, he just. Yeah, he, he I think yeah. he was known as this kind of, you know, trash filmmaker in some ways. And that's because, like I said. The ones I can remember you could easily find were Nightmare City and Make Them Die Slowly, or yep. or Cannibal Ferox, and you could you could find those easy, but you couldn't find the other stuff easy. You really had to hunt the other stuff. Yeah, you did. A Spasmo, you, you could did. find. I, I do remember the VHS box for Spasmo quite a bit. Yep. Yep. My no, ball. For sure. Did he do Knife of Ice? Yep, he did. It's solid. It's solid. Yeah. Yeah. He. That's what I mean. Like he's got. I would say. 15 to 20 solid films in his filmography. That's pretty good. And that's, I mean, that's worth something. I mean, that yeah. really is worth something. Um, like I'm, I'm going to go on the record and say he's the best Umberto filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I would say that's a fair... I don't know if there's any other of, Umbertos. <laughs> I can think of Umberto D. the film, but not, yeah. yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you might be right there. Um, Milian fucking longs for that champagne bidet oh man does he ever good lord <laughs> uh how about that scene when he's licking the window that just feels like something that he just he picked up the ball and ran with it like that does not feel scripted at all well from what i understand and everything i've read about this film over the years uh him and Lindsay had a love-hate relationship they yes they both loved each other because they both thought each other had talent but they both hated each other because Million would not listen to and Lindsay was very much a control freak you hear yeah. these stories about him he was very much a screamer if you watch the Eurocrime documentary you'll hear Henry Silva talk about Umberto was loud and a yeller and a screamer he got along great with him but not everybody did a lot of people didn't like working with him but Merrily and Million and Silva those three really did like working with him and well Million to a degree and the reason why Lindsay had so much trouble with Milian is, again, because, first of all, he was always either half-loaded or half out of his mind, or he would not listen to any direction whatsoever. Uh, he just basically would show up, do what he wanted to do, and he hated, <laughs> from what I understand, and I read this a long time ago, he never liked to shoot scenes again. Like, he, he was really big on, I'm giving you my best on that day. He'd shoot multiple takes of a scene, but he did not want to come back to it. Like if if they didn't think they got the stuff that first day, he wasn't coming back. He would th like throw a tirade. Um, so, you know, a difficult actor, certainly uh, a mercurial actor, no doubt. Uh, would have loved to have been a fly on the wall on some of these sets to see these guys interacting with each other to see how it went. Oh, but man. I agree with you. That is that is a quintessential moment in Milian's kind of acting career is him he does both terrifying and overly comedic within the same like eight seconds there 
It's both oh, yeah. funny. It's both yeah. funny and gross. <laughs> I agree. No, I agree completely. He just really stops on a dime and, and swings it. Um, this is a grimy, sweaty film. We spoke about that. Uh, you know what? We always talk about Silva's um, trench coat game, and it's on point. But I'll tell you, and I don't wear. You know, I don't, I'm not. You know, I'm not and I would wear it, but Anita Stringberg from the from the women's section here, her her trench coat is pretty incredible too. It is, it is. She, her a she brought her a game. She knew Silva was coming, so yeah. I think Silva stopped, Silva stopped wearing it because he saw her. Well, in it. she 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 puts the hammer down with that that uh, that trench coat, man. This is a this um, is a great silver. There is one thing about this silver performance I really like. It's another one of those scenes where he drops the mf word. Oh, motherfucker! Yeah. yeah. And he really says that word in a special way. He does. <laughs> and he really he drops it here. And I'm always surprised by it. I don't know why. I shouldn't be. It's not that it's not like this is a kid's movie or anything, but it's just like when he drops it, it's like it comes out of nowhere. It's great. It's he it's you know, like some British actors saying a certain C word. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There's just a certain um poetry to it. Um <laughs> I love the the sequence with Millian telling Lovelock to go take a shit in the bush. Like, <laughs> yeah. what a bizarre sequence. <laughs> it's bizarre. I would have loved to have seen David Hess unhinged and Millian. Yeah, like that would have been pretty amazing. Yeah, I feel I feel like Hess would have been swallowed up though. I mean, who could? I mean, just Millian's such a force of nature. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that anybody could have hung with him at his peak. No, no. No, it's it's hard to think of anyone. Uh, I feel like Lindsay had access to that rusted out barge, and they were just going to use it as much as they could. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just were like going to absolutely do it. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, not much else to say. I mean, I could kind of just go on a little bit, but uh, I think it's apropos that the end of the film, uh, Silva gets his dirty, hairy angle, and we see Million. <laughs> Just in a pile of rotten garbage. It's just, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty amazing. It, I mean, it's it it ends in a very interesting way because, you know, you think that you know the movie is end has ended already, and then it kind of swings back around. And you think surely nothing else is going to take place, and it's there is some confusion there as to what Million's character, yeah. I guess, has gotten away with, or you know, is it like a Travis Bickle type thing where he, maybe people saw him as this mm-hmm. kind of Robin Hood-esque character and stuff. But I think, you know, and it's important to kind of come back to this. I don't have a whole lot more to add. We kind of talked about everything. But I think it's important to talk about the human chandelier scene, the home invasion sequence. Because, oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even mention that. Good call. But I, I just want to bring it up because I don't know when home invasions really began in cinema. I don't know when that would have began. I guess In Cold Blood maybe would have been one. I'm assuming yeah. isn't that the Robert Blake film? Yep. I, I think that is one, but as as a kind of sleazy thing that it's become because home invasion films have become this, you know, there's a whole genre of sleaze for home invasion films, right? And, it is its own thing, absolutely. Yeah, and this one is that sequence, and and it's it's probably about a third, maybe maybe almost a halfway through the movie. It's really weird because as over-the-top as Milian is in the film and as great as it is to have Sylvan here, really it's a very standard Eurocrime film. It's not 
like this movie is completely bonkers all the time. Million is, but this movie is really just, you know, bad guy, cop chasing bad guy. How do we resolve this? That's really all it is. And then you get this home invasion sequence in the middle. And it's almost like Lindsay's like, you know what? I'm going to throw the gauntlet down right now. Nobody's going to do this again. We're going to go all out. We're going to try to make this disgusting sequence. And there's stuff about it I always forget about. I always forget about the uh, the forced uh, sodomy or the uh, the uh, the oral sex. I forget about that angle. Oh yeah. I, I I'm always shocked when you cut away and you cut back and you have naked women hanging from a chandelier. And talk about a moment where you know I'm sweating bullets in the house because the kids are here and I'm watching it in another room. And I'm hoping nobody walks oh in. Oh my god! So I'm trying to, you Thankfully, know, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! And because how do you explain it? You can't because it's it it, it is created to titillate, it is created to exploit, it is created to by Lindsay to say, "I've seen your Eurocrime films. Uh, I will see your Eurocrime film, and I will raise you this home invasion sequence." It's. Honestly, I'm so glad you mentioned this. I would have felt like I would have said, "Oh, we didn't mention it." I have to say this: when I think of scenes in a film, obviously this is the scene, and it's it's you know known as like the human chandelier scene, but it's also the human roulette table scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It is so nasty, and I mean, I almost had to laugh. I mean, I don't want to sound callous, but it is so like my wife and I were watching it, and. I'm like this is I like this is so fucking sleazy. I had forgotten yeah. knowing the scene how sleazy it is just to see it and him kind of feverishly licking her leg and sucking on her leg and <laughs> it's know. just it's so just so sleazy and I'm so glad my kids didn't see it. I know, I know. It's it's, it's one of those things. I mean, it reminds me. I know I tell this story often on the show, but it still reminds me of that moment. Like I said, when my wife walked in and you know they're raping a woman in Death Wish and they're spray painting her ass and everything else. <laughs> And I have yeah. I have no words. What can I say at that point? Uh, it's art. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, you can't say nothing because at that point it's pure exploitation. It's pure. It's pure genre filmmaking at that point, and that's all it yep. is. And uh, that's what Lindsay was going for here. I think. I think he was saying, you know, because this is seventy four. I, I think Death Wish came out in seventy four. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think it did. So cinema is really kind of going into a different route of sleaziness. It had already kind of went there some with Yellow Films and everything else. But that mid-70s, early 70s to early 80s, cinema really was going for the throat. You think about all those films, New York Ripper and and uh, Last House on the Left. And, and uh, oh, man, we could just go on and on, right? Thriller, A Cruel Picture and... And all these movies that were just trying to really kind of go for it. They were just really trying to be transgressive by nature and really push the boundaries. And I really feel like this is a transgressive moment in a very standard Eurocrime film. And I think the reason why this film has held up as long as it has is because, first of all, it's a good Eurocrime film without that. Yes. But it's a special Eurocrime film because Lindsay decides he's going to do his best to kind of make a statement. I will say... For my, you know, I've said over the years that Umberto Lindsay's my favorite Eurocrime director. He, 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 he probably still is, but I will say this: he always felt like a director who was aggressively challenging his other fellow directors uh, and trying to push a boundary. 
a lot of times unsuccessfully, maybe. But I got to give it to him. There's moments in all of his films where I'm like, Jesus Christ, why? What is he doing? <laughs> why are we, Why are we in this muck right now? <laughs> it's crazy, man. I yeah. mean, he's he is a great one. I think he's the one I overlooked the most. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, for me, it's like DeLeo, sure. Damiani, sure. Castellari, and then him. Yeah, none of those. None of those I can you know say aren't great because they all are. But it's it's very interesting the way his filmography has kind of survived and and kind of thrived and almost kind of become kind of weirdly timeless because it's so kind of transgressive in some ways that it it's just kind of had this uh, second uh, kind of I, I think it's just going to get I think these films of his will live on forever the same way I feel the same way about Deleo don't get me wrong I mean Deleo's like the poet Lindsay's kind of like the uh, the heavyweight champion for me. Because he's going to pummel you, you know what I mean, and yep. and you know Stelvio Massey's in there and Damiani's in there. He's more of the thinker, and you he's just got absolutely. And then Castel, minded. Castellari, he's more of the. I'm just going to entertain you, but you know, like I'm going to entertain you. I'm going to borrow from Peck and Paw and Siegel, and I'm going to make an awesome action film. Yeah, but he's also, as we've talked about, because we've done a few of his films, he's sneakily kind of violent and nasty. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. We ought to do his or Inglorious Bastards sometime. That's something else I've always wanted to cover on the show. We never done it, so it's yeah, it's solid. I got a bootleg still from years yeah. ago before it was ever released. <laughs> yeah. I I've always wanted to, and I think I said this to you. I've always held out that High Crime. Oh yeah, that's right. With him and Nero, it was going to get a Blu-ray, and I think I got one in France. I, someone maybe Mr. Malloy or someone told me that, but um, nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, love to do that. yeah, we got to do that sometime soon too. Uh, I don't really have much more to add. Silva's great. Uh, Milian's great. All the character actors are great. The film is well-paced. It it kind of gets a little uneven in spots, but it's a very simple plot, and uh, it's a lot of fun. If you like these kinds of movies, you will definitely enjoy Almost Human. There's there's no doubt about it. Like, this will be... Uh, I mean, it's in my top ten Eurocrime films, no doubt, uh, because it just... It, it it's just probably my, it's probably my favorite Million performance, and uh, he's got some great ones. It's not my favorite Silver performance. That's it's easy for me to say that because he's as good as he is in this. He's not really doing anything but kind of doing the work. You know, he he's cool. He's got some swagger. Got the silver swagger going a little bit. He's got some moments, but he's not really over the top here or doing anything like he didn't craft prostrate or even alligator. You know, it's just he's just kind of there, kind of doing the work. Um, but yeah, man, let's get your make or break MVTs. Okay, make or break scene. The chandelier, man. As as obvious as it is, I just I can't overlook that. This film's fifty years old almost. That's and crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> fifty years old, and it's that crazy. So, uh, MVT, come on. Uh, was there ever a doubt? Million. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. this one, I'm gonna go eight out of ten. I just think it's uh, it's just a great example of the genre. It's you know, I feel like, like you said, I think using Lindsay as a heavyweight champ is an interesting comparison because he's just going to pull me. He's like a brawling heavyweight champ. Yeah. He's yeah. not a tactician. He's yeah. He's Mike Tyson. Wow, you. He's, he's Mike Tyson. He's, he's, he's coming in there. He's hammer you and hammer and he's, you. And he's going to get. He's going to injure. Or he's George Foreman. Yeah. A minute. Yeah. I'd say the difference is that he's going to come in and he's going to pummel you and he's going to try to get it over with in like a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to hit you so hard. 
And if you think about all of his films, even the four or five we've done on here, all of them have those kind of impact moments. Even the crazy ones like Nightmare City and stuff, they all have these moments like, what the hell are we doing? Why are we on a roller coaster all of a sudden? You know, it's like, what are we doing? You know, it's just like he just I comes know. up with these wacky ideas. So uh, this is one we're totally in Sapatico on. Uh, it's funny. Uh, every now and then we pick these movies and we're perfectly in line with each other. But my MVTs, Make or Breaks, and Score are all the exact same as yours. Wow, that's funny. Yeah, that uh, is too funny. But I think this is a Euro crime film that's kind of tailor made for us. So yeah, it is, uh, you know, because it kind of hits all the beats we kind of want. It has the over the top villain where you're almost kind of enjoying the villain performance more than the the commissioner, and then but then you got the commissioner who's Henry Silva, so that kind of adds a little weight to it. And then all the other actors around. We didn't say much about Ray Lovelock, but Lovelock's pretty good in this. He kind of plays like he a, is good as a face, kind yeah. Of a, the reluctant criminal. Yeah, he's a little reluctant, but he, but slightly sleazy. Like he gives in, right? Yeah. He gives in to the nastiness, especially oh, during yeah. the uh, forced fellatio moment and the uh, home invasion. Um, oh yeah. But it's it's just yeah, it's a it's a special Eurocrime film. It really is. I know some folks out there don't love it as much because they think it's kind of over the top. I think it just hits the right beats for what it is. So, um, all right, that's our thoughts on Almost Human. Uh, do we want to announce what we're doing next week, or do we want to wait and see? Yeah. We, okay, go ahead. I, you know, I, I wasn't too sure what I was going to pick. I was just torn between ten different things. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's Black History Month, and I felt like, uh, as much as we do, certainly try, we just had the Mac and Max Julian and stuff. But I, I don't know. I was like, I'm going to consciously try to pick something from a black director that's got a a black lead in it. And I was jumping all over the place. And I don't want to say some of the stuff I was picking in between. Uh, some kitchen sinky stuff, some fantastical stuff, and then I was like, "Nope, nope, this is exactly what I'm picking because it is so GGTMC, and I know it's going to bring a great discussion." And it's uh, Bill Duke's 1992 film, Larry Fishburne, Jeff Goldblum, Deep Cover. Oh wow, I haven't seen this in a I haven't seen this in a long time. Thirty years old, man. Oh my god, there's a good one. <laughs> I bet I haven't one. seen it since 1992. Yeah, I probably haven't seen it since about 92, 93 as well, but uh, maybe a few, not not since the year 2000 hit, that's for sure. Wow. This will be fun. The Criterion just put out a edition of this. They did, and it looks beautiful from what I've heard. The, the cover's gorgeous, um, but I love this one. I love Fishburne's early turns, love the Goldblum, and Bill Duke's a guy that doesn't get enough love when you talk about black filmmakers, man. He's... Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be a fun one to talk about. A bit, bit of a curveball. I thought you were going to go another way. So this is a surprise for me. So for those listening. And uh, <laughs> Walt, Walt just sent a voicemail, and I feel bad. Should we play it now? <laughs> you know what? As much as I would love to listen, <laughs> yeah, it's, I have okay. to get my kids talking. Uh, it's Walt, all right. This one's on me, not Sammy. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Fine. It just came in. So Walt, we'll, get, we'll address it the week after. Yes. Uh, hang tight, brother. Yes. We'll get it in there. Uh, hang tight hang loose yeah hang tight hang loose watch your copy of almost human i'm sure you have one if you don't you should get one all right so that is it deep cover next week i'm gonna say adios adios thanks for listening you can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com
Thank you.